I am so glad that y'all still showed up even after long nights the last two nights. When Jerry Brewer announced that uh, students were invited to camp out at the Horseshoe Friday night, I thought nobody's going to come to Greek Day on Sunday. But um, I don't know if you remember this, last year we had Greek Day and um, the game before Greek Day, um, we knocked off number four Ole Miss before Greek Day and this year number one Alabama. Next year we're just going to do Greek Day every Sunday in the football (laughs) schedule. So I'm serious, so just go ahead and plan on it. But uh, anyways, I want to ask y'all a question before we get started. How many of you, between the time you could walk and maybe you getting to high school, how many of you, um, maybe it was just for a few moments, a few minutes, maybe it was for a few hours, but how many of you ran away from home just during that time? Just raise your hand. Just let me see the hands. I mean, I think we all have something in common there. We've chosen maybe because our parents didn't understand us or we didn't understand our parents uh, that we ran away from home for some reason or another. And uh, when I was a kid, I had such a vid- vivid imagination. When I think back on that and the things that would run through my head, I think I maybe should have been medicated. It was so ridiculous, the things that would run through my head. And I remember as a kid sitting down watching a television show, and there was this kid on there who found out he was adopted, and so he ran away from home. And I, I don't even remember the details. I just remember the story. And I thought, that's a pretty good story. So I gathered some things in my um, bedroom, walked over to my grandmother's room. She lived in the same house, and I said, Mama, I found out I'm adopted, and I'm running away. And she went, what? Because I wasn't adopted. And I said, um... You don't even have to lie to me. I know the truth. I'm out of here. And she said, okay. And so I just headed out down the road in the neighborhood for a couple hours. But, um, you know, just because. I, I wanted a reason to run away, I guess. So I, I did and hung out in the neighborhood. I was talking to my wife about that. And she said that she had never run away. But she did prepare one time a wooden dowel and got a handkerchief and tied it up around there to create herself a hobo stick. Because she figured if I ever run away, you've got to have a hobo stick to run away with. So uh, that's the key. That's the key to running away. Um, so we, we maybe a lot of people can identify with that of running away. Well, I, this time I'm going to ask you another question, but I don't no hands this time. Just inside your hearts here, um, how many of you, without raising your hand, have ever run away from God? How many of you have run away from God? It's not the hobo stick kind of run away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, the I maybe know better than this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or maybe the uh, I don't necessarily know everything the Bible says, but um, and and I'm not even going to ask God what's your will in this because I know his answer will be not that. So I just don't do that. And so I'm just heading in the other direction um, away from God. And or maybe you're in a situation where you're feeling so convicted, you decide to tone down your conscience and you're like, I don't know why God cares so much that he keeps convicting me of what I'm doing. It doesn't matter to him. It shouldn't matter to him. And so you tone down your conscience and all of a sudden you decide, well, God probably doesn't really care what I do. And so that way it gives you freedom to run in the direction that you want to head in. And uh, so you just adjust your thinking that way. You still believe in a God who knows your name and, um, and you still believe you're accountable to God. But for right now, you're just going to run in the opposite direction. Right now, I'm not going to make room for God. And you ran away from God into a relationship, or maybe you ran away to God into a financial situation, or maybe you ran away from God into a job, or maybe a living arrangement, or maybe a college. I don't know what you kind of headed to whenever God said, do this. And so you kind of turned your back and ran from God. And it may be just on, you know, on an issue. Maybe not your whole life, or maybe not everything, but for this one thing, I'm running away from God. This is mine, God. You can't touch that. And so you, you, that's kind of how you live your life. And maybe being here today, you're sitting here going, I'm in a church. I run from God. I don't know what I'm doing here in his house, you know. And you just feel a little uncomfortable. 
Well, we all run from God basically for what I think are the same reasons. Number one, we run away from God because we don't want to be told what to do, you know. I'm afraid I'll miss out on something if I surrender. So, you know, because you're afraid God will say you can't hang out with this person and that's exactly who you want to hang out with. Or you can't go out with him or can't go out with her, but that's exactly who I'm going to go out with. So you just head the other direction. And, um, and, or, you know, you can't do this, but that's exactly what I want to do. And so you just kind of turn off the hearing aid and just walk in the other direction. Or maybe it's just that life isn't going so well for you. And you blame that on God. And so you say, why would I want anything to do with God? Because whenever I look at God, I look at my life, I say, why would I want him to have any more involvement? He's pretty much ruined my life so far. And so you just kind of turn away from God. And you just run from him. Why would I want to surrender to God's will when this is what he does to me? Well, I um, heard a message by a pastor named Andy Stanley on this same topic, and I thought it's so appropriate for all audiences, but especially for college students. Because I think, I've been working with college students for about eight years now, and I was one uh, for a few years too. And I, um, I think that college students all have, a lot of them have the same story, you know. And it's a story of running away, and maybe while they're in college, they kind of, they decide, I'm just going to run from God in this other direction. And they, they kind of pull away from God. And, um, and so I think that this story might kind of resonate in your, in your own life as you think about what you're doing and how you've checked out from God. And uh, so today I want us to look at the most famous runner that Scripture talks about. And his name is Jonah. And this happened about 2,750 years ago. It's a true story. And when I say Jonah, the first thing that comes into your mind is Jonah and the... That's right. You all think, well, it just pops up in your head. I mean, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Everybody knows it. You grow up in Sunday school, you hear it. You go to vacation Bible school. You don't even have to go to church. Everybody knows if you had the matching list and Jonah was over here, you draw the line to well, because we all know. Well, I wonder if you know this. Did you know that the book of Jonah doesn't even mention the word well? It does talk about a great fish, but it only talks about it four, it only mentions it four times in the whole book. But that's all we know about when it comes to the story of Jonah. And I know that some of you are thinking out here, of course he's going to talk about Jonah and he's going to, surely he's not going to ask me to believe that a whale really swallowed a man whole and he survived in there for three days. I mean, that's, you know, you just think that's not believable. That's about as believable as the Gamecocks knocking off number one Alabama. (laughs) Or that is about as believable as the Gamecocks knocking off number one Alabama in football and the basketball team knocking off number one Kentucky and the baseball team knocking off number one Arizona State all in the same year. Who could believe that that would happen, right? But it does sometimes, so. But this is exactly what I want to talk about today is the life of Jonah. The story of Jonah is one that, um, that I was taught to believe growing up. It's one that I still believe today. And I think it illustrates beautifully for us the life of someone who runs from God and how God responds with grace and mercy. That's his response. We always think of judgment, but he responds with grace and mercy if you really study the story. And it revolves around a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh is an actual city. It was in the nation of Assyria. And today you can find the ruins of Nineveh across the river from the modern-day city Mosul, Iraq, that you're all familiar with because of current events. There's actually two excavation sites where they've been pulling out for years the history of Nineveh. And it takes place around the year 750 B.C. And Jonah is a real person. And he's referenced in the book of Jonah, but he's referenced in other places in Scripture and places outside of Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself, 750 years after Jonah lived, refers to Jonah. And he makes a theological point about his own life by referring back to Jonah and this story of Jonah encountering this great fish. 
Well, the discussion surrounding Jonah and this great fish today is um, basically what kind of fish or what kind of whale that swims in the Mediterranean could swallow a man whole down his throat and then the man survive inside of the, guy, in the, inside of the fish's stomach for three days and still live. That's kind of the discussion. But here's the deal. If miracles don't happen, that story didn't happen, okay? We don't have to look at the scientific evidence. If miracles don't happen, it didn't happen. But as one writer has said, if these be miracles, it is useless to discuss the gullet sizes and geographical habitats of dozens of species of whales or the chemical content of mammalian digestive juices and their projected effect on human epidermis over prolonged periods. If we wanted to discuss this sort of thing, we would have to begin with first things first and ask whether or not God could talk to man as he did in Jonah 1.1. Because the first verse of Jonah starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, if there's a God, and if that God can actually speak to man, and if that God could send his own son as a man into the world to take all the sins of the world upon him, die on a cross, be buried, and then come back to life. If there's a God who can do that, then what is so complicated about believing in a great big fish that could swallow a man whole and him survive in it? But if in your mind you're thinking, I can't get around it. You know, if, you're, if you can't move past that whole idea, the hang-up of the fish, I really understand because it's a fantastical story. If you try to imagine, I mean, what really happened? How did he get in there? Was he knocked out when he was going down the throat? And what was it like in there? What did he breathe? You know, I, I ask questions like that, and you're like, this doesn't make sense. And I know some of you are probably thinking that, and you're like, this has got to be a myth. There's no way we can be, you know, we, there's no way we can believe that. But this is what I want to suggest. If that's what you're thinking about, I want you to track with me in this message so much that I don't want you to get hung up right there on that point. Because there's a message in this story that I don't want you to miss simply because of the fish. So if in your mind you can't reconcile the fact that there's, no, that there's a fish that swallowed a man and he survived in it, I want you to simply think that what you think might be a myth, maybe there's still a message in that myth worth hearing. If that's the only way you can track with me in a story that I believe is nothing less than true, then I'm okay with that. Because the message of this story is more important than the four times the fish is mentioned in this book. This story is more about God than it is about a great fish or a great city or a runaway prophet. So I want us to go ahead and get started at looking at the life of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet from among the Jewish people. And prophets kind of had a tough job. Um, what a prophet would do is they would go into a um, difficult situation and they would have to deliver a message that nobody wanted to hear. That is like the worst job ever. I would never, I, I can't stand it. It's like, well, I've got to give them the bad news. And you know, it's, who wants to do that? But that's exactly what a prophet was called to do. And Jonah was actually given a little bit more complicated uh, assignment because he was not told to go to his own people who believed in the same God he did, who knew him, who, you know, um, had the same worldview as he did, who would be sympathetic to, you know, the fact that he was speaking to Yahweh. He was called to go to a foreign nation who worshipped foreign gods who wouldn't even know who Yahweh is. So it's much more complicated. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against it, telling them that, if they, that they're wicked and God's going to destroy them if they don't repent. But Jonah isn't in tune with God's thoughts on this. Maybe you can imagine the situation. You know, he, he basically God says do it, and he's thinking, let's just skip the whole warning. Why don't you just go ahead and judge Nineveh? Because Jonah had no sympathy for Nineveh at all. The Ninevites and the Assyrians were constant threats to the Israelis, to the Jewish people. And so he knew, you know, why would we want to save them? Not only that, the, the Syrians were barbaric people. 
Um, when you study history, when you look at the Syrians, they were famously cruel. One of their kings was accustomed to tearing off the lips and the hands of his victims. And another of the kings, he would take and flay them alive, and then after they died, take their skulls and pile them up. So God says to Jonah, Jonah, go talk to those people. They're so wicked. And he's like, there ain't no, I like my lips. I'm not going to go talk to the Nineveh. It's basically what he says. So God says, I want you to go east to Nineveh. And Jonah, who's somewhere up above Joppa, he decides, ah, no. And he looks down the other side, heads down to Joppa, buys a ticket as far west as he can go, which is Tarshish. Noah, a boat couldn't take you any further, most likely, than Tarshish during Jonah's lifetime. So he runs in the total opposite direction, maybe similar to something you've done before in your own life. Now for a moment, I want you to just think about your own life. Because it's very easy to shake your head at Jonah and think, I can't believe he would do that. What was he thinking? To walk away from God? To run in the opposite direction? But hasn't it happened before to you? Or is it happening now that God is saying, I want you to go there. I want you to do this. And you're saying, but I want to go do that. And he's saying, you know, I don't want you to hang out or I don't want you to be in a relationship with him. But that's exactly who I want to be in a relationship with. Don't do this. But that's exactly what I want to do. I mean, how often does that come up in our own stories, in our own lives, when we think about it? Each of us has a story, and maybe it's just part of our story. But I think that we all have times where we've decided, I want to do what I want to do, not what you want me to do, not what anybody else wants me to do. And so Jonah, as the prophet of the living God, though, he should have been familiar with the words of Psalm 139 that says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hands will guide me. I can't even escape God. But instead, he boards the SS, wings of the dawn, or whatever the boat's called, and heads to the far side of the sea. And even God is there. And he speaks again to Jonah, but this time he speaks through a great storm that's so serious that even the experienced sailors are thinking, this is is something other than just, you know... Um, just the highs and the lows kind of meet and cause a storm. Something else is involved, and so they're crying out to their gods. The interesting thing is that Jonah is down inside of the boat. He'd fallen asleep while the storm came up. But he's awakened, and he's told, come and pray to your God because we're all about to drown. You know, sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking because we can get a good night's sleep that maybe we're doing what we're doing is okay, that's good, you know. Well, I mean, it would probably keep me up if it was wrong for me to be doing And we fool ourselves into thinking that because we are the last people. When we're running, we are the last people to connect the dots. We're the last people to see, you know what, the storm I'm facing, the chaos I'm involved in may have something to do with the fact that I'm running from God. Because it's just like Jonah. He saw the storm and went to sleep. But here are the sailors. They recognize there's something huge going on here and you're sleeping. And it's for us, the people that love us most are probably the first ones to notice And connect the dots for us. And they're probably saying to you, you know, maybe the reason you're experiencing this frustration or this storm of life or this thing that's a setback in your life is because you've ignored God. And you say, no, I don't think that's what it is. So through a series of circumstances, Jonah tells the sailors that he was the cause of the storm. He figured it out. And he said, just throw me in the sea and it'll cause the sea to calm down. Well, Jonah 1.15 says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Verse 17 says, but the Lord, and you know when you're running from God, but the Lord happens all the time. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Today I want to address you in the context of the life of Jonah. 
Maybe you're running today and you've been running. Maybe it's overt that you've just totally abandoned God and you said, I want nothing else to do with God. I've tried God. This is not what I want in my life anymore. And you have, you've told everybody, I'm not walking with him. You've walked away. Or maybe it's something more subtle. Maybe you are in a relationship with God. You still believe in God. You still trust in God. But you're just stepping away from God for a time. And you're like, yeah, but this is not what I want to do right now. And so you just walk away from God. Or maybe it's more covertly. Maybe you're here and maybe you still have the God talk and you still go to church. You still read the Bible. But somewhere inside you know that you are running from God because he's saying do this and you're saying, but I don't want to. And nobody else knows it except you. So maybe you are running here today and the chaos of your life is starting to mount. And you realize it's getting to a situation where you can't control it anymore. And it's causing problems with your family, with your parents, or maybe with your children. And you know this, is, this chaos and the storms of my life are getting to a point where they are unmanageable. Sometime soon, I'm going to have to throw up my hands and surrender. Even though I don't want to, I know I'm going to have to do it at some point. And maybe you've even scheduled that point. You've said, you know what? When I get married, then I'll come back to God. But for right now, there ain't nothing I want to do with God. Or maybe when I have children, I'll come back to God. Or maybe it's just after this year. Maybe you're a pledge or a new member in your fraternity or sorority. And you're thinking, you know, maybe um, after I start to fit in, I'll start, you know, letting people know that I love the Lord. Or whatever it is. Maybe it's just after this week. I don't know. Maybe you've got something going on that you're like, I don't need God in my life this week because I want to do that. So after next week. I don't know what it is. But you've already planned out, okay, I'm going to surrender in the future, but not right now. It's not that you're atheistic. It's not that you doubt God. It's just you're intentionally checking out, running from God in the other direction. You know what Jonah discovered? Jonah discovered that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. God prepared a fish for Jonah, and I'm convinced that he'll prepare something for you as well. And why would he do that? Because it sounds like, why would God care enough to do that? Why would God do that? Why would he prepare something for me? What, is I, what am I doing that's so bad? Well, this is why. Because God sees you as his child. And he invites us over and over in Scripture to relate to him as if he's our heavenly father. Because he loves you and he cares for you. And in Scripture it teaches that it, just as a father disciplines his child that he loves, so a heavenly father disciplines children that he loves. That's why God would care enough to do it. But here's the driving principle that Andy Stanley said that is the context for us to understand that God's action, what God's action in our lives is all about. This is it. God didn't chase down Jonah to pay him back for running away from him. God chased down Jonah to bring him back or to win him back. The cause of that but the Lord moment in his life had very little to do with discipline or punishment at least. But it had everything to do with bring Jonah back. And the good news is this. It's the same for you. God doesn't chase you down to pay you back. He chases you down to bring you back and to win you back. And the good news is he's not going to stop doing that. Not not because he wants to pay you back, but because he wants to win you back. And I don't know the level of your resistance or rebellion. I don't know what you've said to God. I don't know if you shook your fist in his face before or you've just totally walked away. You've turned it off. You're not listening anymore. I don't know what you've promised and not held up to in your life. But I do know this. God is not chasing you down to pay you back for that. The reason I know this is because he's already received the full payment for every sin of every man in the person of Christ. When Christ hung on the cross, he took upon him the sins of the whole world and he paid every penalty There was for sin. 
He paid it right there. So this is, it's no longer about payback, but it's all about win back. It's all about bring back. Your Heavenly Father will discipline you to bring you back. And you may be facing chaos in your life by your own design because you're rebelling. But you are facing chaos, chaos and you're saying, this is a whole lot more than I deserve. You know, the frustrations I'm facing, the storms, the things in my life that are so complicated to deal with, it's more than I deserve. Well, maybe God, because He loves you, not because He wants to pay you back, but because He loves you, is allowing or causing these storms into your life, come into your life, in order to bring you back and to prevent you from heading that direction ever again. After God got Jonah's attention and Jonah came to his senses, he responded in a way that contains rich insight. And the bottom line is this. Jonah discovered that God is rich in mercy and he's generous with it. But he also learned that God is thorough in the way that he disciplines I'm going to read to you from Jonah chapter 2. And it says in verse 1 of that, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, verse 2, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. In another version it says, In my distress I called to the Lord. You know, that sounds like so many people's stories. In your distress I called to the Lord. For the first time in a long time, some of you prayed was in your distress. That's when you called out to God. Maybe it was last night in the beginning of the second half. And you cried out to God in your distress. Seriously, don't let this happen. Or maybe it's whenever you were taking an exam you weren't prepared for. And in your distress, you cried out to God. God, I know I didn't study, but let this go well. You know? Or maybe it's uh, more serious than that. Maybe you're on the verge of flunking out. And, uh, or maybe you're on the verge of losing a job that you desperately need. And in your distress, you called out to the Lord. Or maybe you were staring at a pregnancy test. And in your distress, you called out to the Lord. Or maybe the police were knocking at your door, and in your distress, you called out to the Lord. Or maybe you're driving home to tell your parents something you've been hiding from them for a very long time, and now you've got to tell them, and in your distress, you're going, God, please, let this go well. Or maybe you're staring at your phone, knowing you've got to call your boyfriend or your girlfriend or a friend and tell them something that you're afraid they've already found out. And in your distress, you call to the Lord. In your distress, no matter what you believed beforehand, no matter what you had decided in your mind to say, this is okay that I'm doing this, in your distress, you call to the Lord. It doesn't matter your theological beliefs. It doesn't matter your religious convictions. It doesn't matter your intelligence. All it knows is in your distress, you call to the Lord. It says, I called out in my distress to the Lord. The rest of it says, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, the grave. And you heard my voice. You know the best part? One of the best parts about God is He hears the desperate cries of people in difficult circumstances. God heard Jonah even though Jonah was running. And God hears you, listens to you, and responds even when you're running. So powerful if you consider the fact that most of the time the reason you don't want to turn back to God is you're like, I can't face Him now because of what I've done. But Jonah proved you turned to God And he will hear you. He illustrates that in his prayer that God is generous with grace. He hears and he responds. And there's a daily invitation to call out in distress. And so Jonah gets clarity. You can see the fog starts to lift. And he realizes this is not about sailors or storms. Because he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers, God, and billows passed over me. God, you were behind the chaos and the calamity in my life. Verse 4 says, So I said, I have expelled 
from your sight, nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. You know, I think that Jonah probably um, repented before the fish swallowed him. I don't think that he was going down or in the, you know, in the well for a couple, big fish for a couple of days and all of a sudden it's like, all right, I give in, you know. I don't think that's how it happened. I think probably when he's being thrown out into the water before he hits the waves, he's like, I'll go to Nineveh. They can have my lips, you know, whatever it is. Just I, don't let me drown. I'm sure that's what he said because that's what any of us would have done. In our distress, we call out to the Lord. Because most of the time when we're faced with punishment, we're willing to give in before the punishment comes. I have a two-year-old son, Caleb. And uh, Caleb, whenever he gets in trouble, I say, Caleb, if you don't do that, you're going to go in timeout. No, Caleb, not need to go to timeout, is what he says. Because he's convinced, no, don't punish me. And that's the same thing that we do uh, before God. Andy Stanley says, God is generous with grace, but God is also thorough with discipline. He will ensure that because of the discipline, you will never head in that direction again. So God allows Jonah to hang out in a fish for three days and three nights. Verse 5 says, The water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The seaweed and everything that's in that big fish. Verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. God's discipline is thorough. It continues, But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And then he gets to this major point. I don't want us to miss this. Maybe you've been tuned out the whole time. I want you to hear what Jonah says in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah admits there were worthless idols in his life that were robbing him from the blessing of God. You know, an idol is anything that gets... Um, that robs God from the affection or from the obedience that he deserves. And Jonah's saying, what I was running to was a worthless idol. When you run from God, you know you always run to something. You run to a relationship or to entertainment or you run to uh, money or you run to just whatever it would be. You run in that direction for something. And those things are worthless idols because whenever you get to it and all of a sudden they don't fulfill like you thought they would, you don't feel fulfilled at the end. You know I've abandoned God for the wrong thing. And it may take a long time for you to discover that. But you always do when you get to the end realize, I have given up on God for something not worth it. And how do I know this? Because in your despair, you don't call out to the person that you are running to. In your despair, you don't call out to that entertainment that you were looking for. In your despair, you don't call out for the pleasure. But in your distress and in your despair... You call out to God. We all do. And that's why we crawl out to Him in our despair. And not to other things. Because every human being in their soul knows that's what is most valuable in life. Jonah says those who run, they come to a point of brokenness when they realize that this was a worthless idol. And in the midst of his prayer, we can see that this fog clears. He goes on to say, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you... With the voice of thanksgiving, God, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up into the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. God is so generous with his grace. He comes to him a second time. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. You know, many people in the world today ignore God 
and they think that God ignores them. They think that God set the world into motion and then backed away and has no involvement in it. And that basically continues to allow things to go unnoticed. The text that we just read portrays that God is not like that at all. He is so involved. He's so active. He's interested. And he hears and he watches and he takes sin seriously. There is a God who knows you. And you may be running from him right now, but you can't outrun God. He is on a mission right now, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. So today, if you're running from God, I want to offer you a chance to stop running. I don't have to spell out for you what kind of chaos waits at the end of the path you're walking. You already know it. In the stillness of this room, you probably have more clarity than ever before about God's concern for you and His grace for you. So before more storms come, before the distress mounts itself, I want to invite you to call out to the Lord because I know He answers. Let's pray. Lord God, we just uh, come before you so interested in knowing you, the God who comes after us with grace and with love, the same God who went after Jonah. God, and we just, uh, if we're real and relevant right now, God, we could admit to you that we've all run in the opposite direction of you at certain points in our life. So, Father, as we uh, come now to a point of decision, I pray that you'd help us not to walk away from the feelings or the emotions we've experienced, but that we would respond to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe uh, you're like the prodigal son today and you just walked away from a relationship with God for a season. Well, I want you to know there's an invitation for you to come home today to a God who's not here waiting to pay you back, but a God who's wanting to give you generously His grace. Or maybe you've never been in a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you've never related to God as your Heavenly Father and you would like that. Then today there is an invitation for you to come and to receive that. He doesn't want to pay you back for what you've done. He wants to bring you back. He wants to show you love. You know, in Jonah's prayer, he rightly said in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. You know, salvation is only possible because God makes it possible. Salvation always comes from God. We know that's where it comes from. And so this thought was a, this was a blessing to Jonah to think, man, salvation comes from the Lord. But for us, it should be even more comforting because of this. We live on the other side, this side of the life of Christ. And when Jesus came, he was given the name Jesus, meaning salvation comes from the Lord. So this story that we just heard is a story about a runaway prophet, but it's also a story about the Lord who went into the depths of, the hell, of hell, bearing our sins and raising up from the dead to bring with him to glory many sons. If we will just receive him as Lord and Savior, that's also the story of Jonah. It's a story of salvation. We have run from God, all of us, but none of us need to perish. Today, a free gift is being offered to you. It's the gift of grace. And in just a moment, we're going to have uh, the ministerial staff and some other people here who care about you that would listen to you as you want to make these decisions. Maybe you just want to come forward to just say, I'm done with running. And you just want to make it a public statement to do that. The invitation is for you too. Or maybe you want to join in our church fellowship. The invitation is to you as well. So as the choir sings, I want to ask you to stand. And if you want to respond, you have questions, you come forward.